Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Connor Ketley. The yellow balls have been put away in England, but they're still out in force in France as they aren't yet willing to say goodbye to the winter. But who's warming up to the business end of the season and who's still out in the cold? All of that and more after the latest headlines. The Friday night game between Bordeaux and Montpellier has been moved to Tuesday. So the weekend action began in Caen on Saturday as the home side could not hold off a fighting Paris Saint-Germain who won 2-1. Goals, uh, two second half goals from Kylian Mbappe sealed victory as PSG tentatively continue their preparation for Wednesday's second leg against Manchester United in the Champions League. Elsewhere, Monaco came from two goals down at Angers to draw 2-2. Flavian Tate's double was cancelled out by a Radamel Falcao brace that now lifts the Principality Club six points above the drop zone. Raz pulled off a similar trick at home to Amiens as the two subs scored the goals in their two-all draw, while on Sunday, bottom side Gengom earned a point in a goalless draw against Nantes as Valentin Rogier missed a last-minute penalty. Lille struggled to a 1-0 win over Dijon and have an own goal to thank for that three points, while Alain Saint-Maximin's strike gave Nice the same winning scoreline over Strasbourg. Lyon got back to winning ways as they thumped to lose 5-1 at the Group Armour Stadium. Memphis Depay, Nabil Fakir, Bertrand Traore and Moussa Dembele all on the score sheet, while the fiery Yannick Kauzak saw red for the away side late on. In the final match of the weekend, Marseille got victory at the Stade Velodrome against Saint-Étienne 2-0. Mario Balotelli scored possibly the most social goal of the weekend, while Flavian Tervan scored a penalty to seal the win. And that's all for now. But to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with the leaders, Paris Saint-Germain, who have a massive game in midweek and prepared for that in somewhat timid fashion. And in somewhat timid fashion, you may say, Rich, over the past couple of weeks, it's been some close affairs. They've not quite recovered from a couple of injuries and they squeezed past Colm in the end, having to come from behind against the um, 18th position side at the weekend. It, is that a little bit of a worry for you heading into this one? Or does it feel like maybe these games that have been a little bit close in the last couple of weeks is all because they're saving their energy for that massive clash against Manchester United on Wednesday? I would certainly suspect that that's, the, that's going to be the, um, the policy line from PSG and from within is, you know, you look at the squads, it isn't, you know, it, it, Tuchel is not playing the strongest 11s available to him for the league games. Um, my my own theory is that yes, in large part, it's due to that. I also have a a, a belief that there's probably a little bit of I don't want to say worry. Worry may 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 make it sound a bit more dramatic than it actually is, but we're getting to the the sort of to to use that cliche phrase, the business end of the season, and especially so for PSG, who, as we all know, um, are, are desperate for this this success in the Champions League. Um, we're now in a position where, um, you know, they can, by all, by all means, it should look like a, a formality to, to progress um, 
on Wednesday um, with the with the lead that they built up in the first leg against Manchester United. But I'd imagine there is a, just that little bit of of concern. You know, these are now the big big games for PSG. This is now where the season really matters most for them, and so it's it's probably to be expected. Um, I think we can probably all read way way too much into it but it's you know going into such an important game you know a a scrappy um and as you say sort of slightly nervy um win away at Caen is not perhaps the performance you would expect but you marry that up with um you know the the lineup um that that, that Tuchel put out the fact that Caen seemed to have this weird sort of hoodoo against <laughs> over over PSG that they seem to raise their game like like rarely we see from from any other team. Um but it wasn't it wasn't vintage PSG. Um but you know I've I've no doubt that that at the forefront of their mind was indeed the match on Wednesday. Yeah and it's fair to say that it's not been vintage PSG for the last couple of weeks really since that win at Manchester United to be honest the the late the, the win against Leve was was close and, and, and bitty the Montpellier scoreline sort of shadows the fact that you know, they were they were timid for a long while um, a lot of those goals were sort of from deflections uh, you sort of give the one against Nima pass they didn't really turn up in all honesty but more importantly Connor during this time while while Neymar's been out and, and Cavani's believing to be out he's, he's supposedly returning to training tomorrow but he's pretty much a very serious doubt for still for Wednesday so the the shoulder of responsibility lies at Kylian Mbappe's feet. And that's been not only evident in that game against Manchester United, but in these close games where they needed a goal scorer, it has been him. Um, he's on 24 now for this season. And he's really, uh, I would say at least, uh, I don't know if you feel the same. Is this the best sort of form he's had in a Paris Saint-Germain shirt? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at, you know, quite literally, as you mentioned, the last four games, what is it, six goals? Um, just when the team did need him to step up. And, uh, of course, Cavani had that injury against Bordeaux that, you know, you can't really say necessarily that that acted as a catalyst, the injury itself, maybe the uh, the kind of weight of responsibility, the fact that he's a World Cup winner as well now kind of uh, alleviates any pressure that people might have been lumping onto him. And he just looks, you know, so confident. I think... What one comparison I was thinking of earlier was just between how PSG look now and you compare them to maybe, um, you know, Manchester United of the late uh, 2000s, Juventus of the last sort of eight years or so, even when they're a goal down, if they're drawing late in the game, you really just have a feeling that someone, uh, you know, most likely Mbappe is just going to step up and win the game for them. It's just, you, you can never really see them, you know, bottling a lead. You can't really see them throwing away something stupidly. It's just you know, kind of scary how composed they can be with two of their best forwards out and they've still got a World Cup winner who's, uh, you know, scored in a World Cup final and, and done all sorts in the Champions League, setting new records uh, at his young age as well. So it's hard to see, you know, where this PSG team can be stopped in, uh, in Ligue 1 at least. Yeah, and it does help that if you have three world-class strikers, you've if you've got at least one in the bank when two do go down, really. And, and looking forward to the game uh, that we're going to see on Wednesday night, Rich. It's it's uh, uh, Paris Saint-Germain certainly in the driving seat, but some would argue that you know two away goals is a cracking result for them. But there's also 
at least a half the possibility that Manchester United may get two away goals. That's maybe my my own cap, maybe holding on to some kind of glitter of hope. But they're, they're going to be missing Pogba. He's suspended, obviously. Marshall's unlikely to be fit, as is Jesse Lingard. Mata, um, Herrera still missing as well. Um, if, to, so to add to Paris Saint-Germain, having a lot of injuries in that, in that first leg. But does any of these games that we've seen recently from PSG, even though they obviously rested Verratti at the, or, or against the game against Con as well, does does it cause any concern really, or do you think that especially with those players missing for the opposition, that it really should be PSG strolling to the next round? I think the thing that Manchester United perhaps have to prey on most is is perhaps the mental state. You know, if Man United can come out, um, you know, in a real attacking mood and can get an early goal. Maybe they can, they can, as I say, they can prey upon the fact that there will be several PSG players in that team thinking, you know, oh God, not again. Um, and maybe that's something that they could use to their advantage. I don't necessarily see that happening. I think the injuries that, that Manchester United are suffering um, really do hamper them significantly. We saw in the first leg that PSG can cope with injuries to you know, two of their three best players. Um, and can still put in a performance like they did in Manchester. I don't think Manchester United can do the same um, with with key players missing in their squad. Um, and I think I think the the team and, and the, the the mentality is is stronger. I think Tuchel has built an element of resilience. There's almost not that level of I suppose level of cockiness, a bit of too much, almost too much arrogance that we perhaps saw under sort of towards the later days of the Blanc era and, and the two seasons under Emery, there was maybe that, that feeling at times that they were not taking things as seriously perhaps as they should. Maybe I think that, that, that might have something to do with it, but I think Tuchel has, has certainly worked hard on that. And I think certainly, I think what we've seen in Europe anyway, is their attitude seems to be a lot more professional. Um, they have shown in the group stages that when they needed to get results, they could get results. Um, you know, everybody in that first leg was talking about, you know, how on earth are PSG going to cope without Neymar, without Cavani? Um, and, you know, we walked away from that game thinking, you know, do, they, do they need Cavani? Do they need Neymar? So I think that I do think the mentality is stronger, but it will it would face the ultimate test i think if man united were to come out and get that early goal so i think if if they are to have any success on wednesday um they're going to have to come out of the blocks very quickly i think and get that goal to really test that mental resolve of the psg team Mm, absolutely and uh, there's three inter- interesting wrinkles I think comparing the two games at least connor and uh, the one is the the maybe for Man United fans, the positives injury that Alex Sanchez probably won't be playing at least anyway. But the, the other two little wrinkles, especially compared to the, the first game, was that obviously Paul Pogba was a, a focal point of PSG's attentions, especially Marquinhos, who was superb. But without him, um, is it maybe a different plan for that midfield? Uh, maybe a bit more of an attacking plan? Do you see them using it? And, and second of all, that the form that Lukaku has been in the last couple of games where he has improved and started scoring goals, could he pose a, um, a more imposing threat to Thiago Silva with obviously Rashford, Rashford possibly looking to sort of run in behind a little bit more? Lukaku's physical presence may be giving PSG a, a little bit more trouble. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what what I'd like to see, um, I suppose, from a footballing perspective, is Lukaku kind of, um, you know, occupying the centre half because, 
Uh, of course, Rashford um, was playing a bit more centrally last time. It felt like, you know, if he could go up against, uh, you know, the likes of Bernat or if Dani Alves, I think, well, obviously Munier's back fit now, but if he could uh, give the fullbacks more of, uh, you know, more to fill their hands rather than uh, Lukaku playing out wide, I think that could be um, something of interest. And definitely, I, you know, I can see United getting one, maybe two goals, but I think the real issue is that it's tough to see them going and keeping a clean sheet um, at the Parc des Princes, even if they do get one, you know, maybe two goals. Are they realistically going to, you know, be able to keep out Mbappe and Di Maria is going to be up for it again? So, you know, interesting from that respect. Uh, from that respect, but yeah, it'd be nice to see United uh, effectively forced into something different, um, which also I suppose is something that PSG will not be too prepared for. Um, United haven't played any games without Pogba. Um, of late, so they'll have to try and read Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's mind and see what uh, what he's coming up with. Yeah, because that's going to, I think that's going to be quite interesting because we said how key the Pogba Marquinhos battle will be, and the fact that without him, how do you maybe play that midfield? Do you keep Marquinhos in there just for, for safety's cause, or do you maybe go a little bit more forward thinking? Do you have a, a Paredes that maybe they're in there, or maybe even a Draxler um, playing in that role instead uh, next to Verratti, where they can be maybe a little bit more adventurous without Pogba in the side, but it's going it's to be a really interesting one. So I'm going to get some predictions on this one. Rich, I'm going to start with yourself. What do you think the score will be? Um, I think PSG will get the job done. Um, I don't think United will get their early goal. Um, on the night, I'm going to go 2-1 PSG win. Connor? Yeah, I was, I was actually thinking the same, not to uh, just echo Rich, but uh, I do think I think uh, probably PSG pull ahead. Uh, United might get an equaliser, but they'll be snuffed out again and 2-1 uh, PSG for me as well, actually. I'm actually going to go a little bit controversial on this one. And I have a feeling it might be similar to the Juventus game that United played earlier this one and where our PSG go to a comfortable lead to start off with and maybe Manchester United get a lucky one and nick two little goals at the end and still go out, but with a little bit of pride in a 2-1 win at the Parc de France, there's nothing to sniff at. But that's maybe my bias coming into play at least a little bit. But uh, let, just before we move on from Paris Saint-Germain, uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this at least, Connor, because it does look like Paris Saint-Germain are certainly favourites to go through and, and, and are one of the favourites really for the Champions League itself, um, given the other opposition that's still left in there. How far do you think they can go? Should they go through on Wednesday? Can they be finalists or even champions this year? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I was I was talking about this earlier in um, in the season, really, you know, back before, um, just when a game or two have been played in Champions League. I, I did say at the time, semi-finals, I think I'd still stick with that. I think, you know, obviously a lot does depend on the draw itself. Um, you know, famously, they can, tend to struggle at the stage. Uh, when it reaches the knockout stage. I think they'll get to the semi-finals um, and then that's where it gets tricky. I think Man City just look that extra level above everyone in, in the Champions League. And then you've got you know the European giants as well who always seem to wake up in the knockout stages. I'll stick with my prediction. I think semi-finals for PSG this year. Yeah, it's getting interesting, really, because especially with I was thinking, especially with the Atletico Juve result as well last the other week, um, possibly the the Italians going out by Munich, not as strong. Liverpool maybe focusing more on the league, so it might be between those. Man City, yes, are playing very well, but Barcelona have been iffy in Europe as well. Real Madrid aren't 
particularly consistent. It's wide open for PSG, I think, this year to at least, like you say, get to a semi-final, if not a final, if the, the draw plays in their hands. Uh, back to Liga matters, really, and we've already discussed on the, our preview show on Thursday about Bordeaux um, releasing Ricardo at the, just before their weekend game. Their game was suspended until Tuesday anyway, but there is reports from the RMC that the uh, Paulo Sosa is... Uh, potentially the replacement, shall we say, but he was on a plane to, to Bordeaux for talks, but there is also uh, many reports in Italy that he's quote unquote on standby for Roma after their three 0 defeat in the Rome Derby at the weekend. He may be wanted there, which rich throws the spanner in the works. Really. It sounded when it first come up like an interesting appointment. I know he's, he's well thought of in, in places like Italy for his managerial expertise, but at the same time, <laughs> could Yet again, Bordeaux be um, the bridesmaid and not the bride in a manager hunt. Yeah, it's really frustrating, isn't it? Because, I mean, this is something that it feels deja vu, doesn't it, really? What we're talking about with Bordeaux is is the potential that they've got. Now, I know to get it out of the way, first and foremost, you know, an area as a whole, being the southwest of France, is obviously... Football is perhaps not as prominent as as rugby. Uh, that's obviously a huge rugby rugby area, but Bordeaux, with with sort of the history they've got, the players that have played there, um, you know, the setup they have, they've now got this new, uh, you know, the new American owner. They've obviously got a fantastic stadium, um, you know, decent support. You just feel as though they're constantly fighting a battle to find a, a missing piece of that that jigsaw. And it, it seems as though it's a different piece each time. And now, you know, now we're back to the coach piece is missing. Um, you know, Ricardo came back and, um, you know, he had a decent start and resurrected the team after the, the sort of troubles of, of Gus Poyet's departure. Um, he seemed to sort of steady the ship. Um, towards the end of the year, things were on a slight upward curve. And then it's sort of just fallen off really since since uh, since January. Um, performances have been pretty substandard. There have been very rare standout performances. The squad just seems just a level of disinterest, and you felt it. You felt it was coming. You feel as though also though that this is almost the wrong time to have done it. You've just gone through a January transfer window. The form now in February has not been too indifferent to the form in January. So why why have they then made the change now? You know they're going to be bringing in a coach um, to just oversee a squad which doesn't seem to be in the right frame of mind. It's not a particularly strong squad as it is. It definitely needs. Uh, work doing over uh, work doing to it over the transfer window. Um, things seem to have been fairly vocal about Paolo Sosa coming in, um, which of course then breeds its own troubles of other clubs. Real oh, Paolo Sosa is available, you know, and it seems that Roma might be the team going in for him. But you can see why. Um, you know, his time in England. You know, people in England won't necessarily regard him particularly well. His his uh, his, his time at, at the likes of Swansea and very briefly at Leicester weren't particularly standout qualities on his CV, but um, sort of pretty much everywhere he's gone since, arguably until he turned up in China, has been 
you know, has been at a good level, uh, certainly in, in Switzerland and at times in Italy with Fiorentina. Um, he looked like he was he was getting somewhere with that squad. So you can see why they're going for him, but it just seems a curious time to go for him. And now with a team like Roma interested, you do feel, yeah, they're probably going to miss out on him. And where does that leave them? Um, there are plenty of names out there, but they're such a confusing squad, such a confusing team at the moment. Uh, and I think it's up to the new American owners to make it very clear not just to any prospective new manager, but I think they probably owe it to a level to the fans as well as to actually what their intent, what their realistic intent is. They can come in and say, yeah, we're going to bring Champions League football in five years. We're going to spend this, that and the other. Uh, apply an element of realism. All of that may come, but that's, that is going to take time. What are they actually going to do for the next, for the rest of this season? What are they going to do for next season? Let's have some short-term ideas as well as those long-term plans as well. And so I think any manager that's going to come into Bordeaux needs to be very clear for, very clear on those um, and allow time to to actually put those plans into place. Um, you know, Bordeaux seem to have been very quick um, with the with the firing trigger uh, of late. So any new manager, I think, has to be given time um, if they are to achieve the plans for the new owners. Yeah, and this was the... It, the interesting thing, really, Connor, I think we sort of forget simply because Bordeaux aren't really involved in any race at the moment, stuck in, in mid-table, but we forget that it's been a pretty, especially for them, a, a sort of basket case season, really. They they started off with a manager that they got rid of. They were desperate to get Henri through the door and he said no, and then they eventually stuck with Ricardo, who wasn't even the manager on the touchlines because he didn't have the right qualifications. He was stuck up there. There was no sense of authority. The players were, were having moments again, much like Malcolm did last season. There's uh, There was Jan Caramo having disciplinary issues early this season. It, it must be very stressful to be a Bordeaux fan. And on top of that, I know Adam's um, very vehement on this and unfortunately he has to watch them every week. Um, they've been pretty awful to watch really especially in 2019 how do they change course are they maybe rushing into an appointment here where maybe they should be spending the rest of the season taking stock and then deciding which direction they need to go in for next season oh, i think yeah, it's always um you know easy to say it from the outside but you would think that it would be a good idea for them to you know have an interim manager look look towards the summer and then appoint someone who's really going to carry the vision forwards uh, I think it was in L'Equipe, actually, they had uh, the cartoon of, uh, you know, a big uh, placard outside Bordeaux Stadium saying, you know, new, new manager unveiling coming along and then the, the fans saying, oh, it's another one this week and, and just the whole hilarity of how they're hiring and firing this year and who's going to come back and who's going to leave again. Um, you know, it must be tough being a Bordeaux fan and watching all this uh, kind of unfold when... Obviously, not. I wouldn't go as far as saying a laughing stock, but it's just a bit embarrassing to have to, you know, endure this when it's not even. Um, obviously, the maths on the pitch haven't gone exactly to plan, but it's uh, even more frustrating as well when you've got off the pitch matters which are, um, you know, ruining what could be um, a good team. You have got some great players in there as well, so uh, it's a bit frustrating to to watch. Uh, even as a neutral as well, you don't like to see a, a team that you associate with European football and, uh, of course, Champions League um, in, in recent history as well, um, you know, go to the dogs like that. Obviously, it looks like things are, are improving uh, greatly with the new investors, etc. And hopefully they'll um, have that sense to look kind of long term rather than short term. 
Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing when you, when you think back to Bordeaux and this squad on paper, Rich, they've got some excellent players, really. Francois Camaneau had a really good start to the season, but he's blown hot and cold. We know that Yen Caramo is a very talented player. Obviously, that's why Inter was so interested in him, but it looks like maybe the success is going to his head. They've got Josh Madger on the books now, obviously, of Sunderland and Sunderland till I die fame briefly, at least anyway, as well. But he's a, he's a promising prospect that they've brought in on the cheap, and that's the kind of way that they maybe want to model things. But at the same time, they've allowed players like Varda to go on on loan elsewhere. They've not really um, they've not really implemented any kind of style or discipline or, or, or way of playing at Bordeaux in the last couple of years because they've been so chop and change. But uh, like you say, the, the, the next move surely shouldn't be getting a, a sort of a rushing another manager through the door, but finding the right way to be a stable club, not just in the next sort of three months, because there's, no, there's not really a risk of them going down really, but really to make themselves a, a more important not just on the European scene, but also competing where they are getting sales like the one they had for Malcolm this summer, which will, which is the money that they need to survive on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think the squad, the squad as a whole, I still think is is not not good enough to be challenging for Europe. But yeah, as you say, as you if you pick out individual players, you know the the, the quality is there. You know they they made some very interesting moves in January with. As you say, with Josh Major joining, with Yassine Adley joining from PSG, um, they managed to bring back Yann Caramo, who certainly at the start of his his time with Bordeaux looked to have rediscovered his form. And then, but as, as you pointed out, his disciplinary issues have have affected him. So there are the individual players, and I come back to the point I make which, about Bordeaux, which is there's so much potential there. There's so much already in place. It's not going to be taking a huge amount of work. It just needs clear, focused minds um, who really do know what they're doing. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see them bring in, um, you know, a sort of a, an old-timer who's sort of been there, done that in terms of, um, in terms of, in terms of managing to certainly see, the, see out the rest of this season. Um, you know, in a weird way, you could have you could potentially join join the setup at Con. You could have seen someone like um, Roland Corbis sort of, I suppose, babysitting the team until the till the end of the season. Um, but there's there is a lot of potential there. There really, really is. Um, they are capable of producing good young players. You know, we've we've spoken about players like Jules Kunde for uh, you know over a season now. They can produce good players. They can attract some very interesting players. Um, they've got the stadium. They've got a lot there. It's it's not going to take a lot. But the problem is, we've said that season after season for so long now. And season after season, they seem to fail to really get that final piece of that jigsaw sorted. So their next move will be very interesting. Um to, to sort of determine what the true direction of the club is. So I think it's one definitely to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. It's picking between whether going for that sort of big appointment of a Paolo Sosa or, or, or sort of the league uh, young managers that we have that have impressed recently, you know, David Guillon, Thierry Lore, even maybe Christophe Pellissier, uh, Amiens, have, who've done great jobs at smaller clubs do they maybe deserve the, the step up and the, and the next chance for them but um we shall wait and see um it should also sort of develop hopefully in the next couple of days really especially if uh, Roma go out of the Champions League supposedly that's going to be the kicker for 
Paolo Sosa possibly heading that way to replace Eusebio Di Francesco. Uh, on to the matters back in the Europa League now, and we have um, some Arsenal perspective to bring in. We have Tim Stillman of Arsenal joining us to discuss their game against Wren coming up on Thursday. Tim, how are you? Tim, have you got? Uh, have we got you there? Sounds like we may have some technical issues on on Tim's end. So we'll go to the Wren perspective first, then, because I, that's always the best way to go for you, first of all, Rich. Really, because the big Wren fan you are, I don't think it's really underselling it for Wren's point of view. This is one of their biggest games, not of this season, but for for decades, really. I think you probably have to go back, certainly in the the midterm, to the their their domestic cup final appearances. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a there's a real real excitement um, about these two games coming up. You know, we've seen the pictures of the Rem fans camping outside the ground. We've read about the the sort of unprecedented demand for tickets, ninety thousand applications going in. Um, you know, it's something that Ren fans have not seen before. And and that's not just hyperbole, that's fact. You know, Ren have never been this far. It's been a long, long time since they have they have hosted a tie as big as this. Um on the on, on a you know a significant stage that the Europa League is. Um it, it's not underselling it by by any means to say this is one of the biggest games, as you say, in in, in decades for Ren. Um it's been it's been fun, you know, to be to be part of that, to witness that, to to be part of a of a of a support group that's got that buzz about this game. There's no one approaching it thinking, you know, oh, you know, how many are we going to lose by? People are excited. Um, you know, Ram fans are going into this. There is a bit of 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 uh, of sort of joie de vivre about it in terms of. They know in all we know in all seriousness, chances are not necessarily going to go through over the two legs. But you know, circumstances could play into their hands. You never know. People wrote them off against Betis, and we saw what they did over the two legs against them. Obviously, Arsenal, I think, is a is a is a is another step up. Um, but it, it's it's generally the excitement, the positivity about it all. Um, you know, Julian Stefan in his traditional manner now is sort of being very calm, very cool. Nothing's phasing him. Um, he's approaching this as he would approach any other game against any other team. Um, but you can only you, know, you only have to look at the social media feeds of the players that that excitement has has travelled to them. They're looking forward to it. Um, it's it's going to be a huge game. It's gonna it's a sellout at the Verizon Park on Thursday. It will be a huge game. It will be a super spectacle, um, and obviously, with with the game being at home first, you know, as a Ren fan, you just hope that they can they can put in a performance that that shows that you know Ligue 1 is just uh, you know is, is not just a league for for the likes of PSG, the likes of Lyon, and the likes of Monaco. That that clubs below those and outside of those top three are actually you know worth a watch. Are actually capable of of performing when it really matters. Yeah, and they had ninety thousand applicants for tickets, which is a real turnout from them, from those fans at Ren, and it would be great to see that sellout and a, and a great noise to to welcome Arsenal. And hopefully, we have Tim with us now. Can you hear us again, Tim? 
Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear yes, me? Yes, we can there hear you now. That's excellent. Um, so let's discuss Arsenal really now because it's been an interesting week for them really. Obviously, the North London derby on Saturday didn't quite go the way they'd planned, but at least it wasn't a defeat, which is the important thing. And it back tension turns back to the Europa League really in a competition that they are one of the favourites for. Is this something that Unai Emery is aiming for winning? Because it is obviously a competition he's been very successful of and it's a great way to get back into the Champions League if the sort of league form goes away and at the end of the day it's a it's a good cup to go for. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think uh, Unai Emery's record in this uh, in this competition is probably probably a small a small part of why he was appointed in the first place, because Arsenal will have looked at this at the beginning of the season, getting back into the Champions League as a priority and Arsenal would have seen two routes to do it. And this is one of them. Um, quite frankly, um, the domestic cups were you know, really not not kind of intentionally swept to the side, but we got two really difficult draws. And I think most of the fans kind of knew that that really wasn't the priority this year, that it's all about kind of trying to get in the top four and or winning the Europa League. Um, and this, this is this is probably just as viable a route as us uh, uh, for us as, as the Premier League is. So Absolutely. Um, what will be quite interesting, actually, about this week coming up, you mentioned last week, which is a fairly good one for Arsenal, certainly in terms of performances. But the interesting thing about this first leg is we've got this kind of league game with Manchester United on the horizon on Sunday. Um, and I, I think, you know, Unai Emery will clearly be urging his players to put that to the back of their minds on Thursday. But um, particularly the way the North London derby unfolded. I think, to be honest, a lot of the supporters are probably already looking ahead to that Manchester United game on Sunday and, and possibly Rennes could could point to that, uh, particularly it being at home in the first leg and, and kind of wonder if Arsenal, you know, really test Arsenal's concentration. Yeah, and it's going to be the interesting one, isn't it? Because a, a number of factors, not just that game against United on Sunday and they get the lucky, well, I wouldn't necessarily call it the luxury of keeping Pogba off of the field against PSG. They probably would like him on there, but it, it does help mm. that game on Sunday. But it, it brings up the interesting balance that Arsenal have played with their squad, really, with the Europa League, because a lot of the group games, they did play a lot of the younger players and a lot of those got a chance, really. And as well, on obviously on Saturday, Lacazette got the starting head of um, Aubameyang. How do you see the team setting up in this one? Because like we say, it's with that game, it's United in the back of the memory and the tough game they've had at Saturday, mixing it up, but also keeping it strong so they can compete when now it is the, the more business end of the knockout stage in the Europa League that they, they need to be uh, as strong as they can be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, what Unai Emery's done, particularly in recent weeks, as he's got some players back from injury, is there's been a lot of short rotation between uh, between the games. So we've had three games last week and three very different types of game, different performances, different players, different formations. And I think he'll look to do that again um, against Ram. We, we already know that Lacazette is suspended for both legs, so you'll definitely see, see Aubameyang up front. Um, and Arsenal have been playing with kind of three behind the striker um, in the last last couple of weeks. I think Meza Ozil will start this game uh, probably behind Aubameyang. That's he he likes to share game time between his attackers. So Ramsey and Lacazette kind of mesh very well, but Ozil and Aubameyang mesh quite well as well. So I think he'll play both of them uh, probably with Mkhitaryan and maybe Denis Suarez um, might get a first start. 
um, as well. Lucas Torreira now has a three-match domestic ban, so I think he'll play both legs. Uh, so I think you'll see a kind of 4-2-3-1 from Arsenal. Um, you'll definitely see a Bamiyang because we don't have a lot of choice. think we'll play Ozil for this, not least because I don't think we'd look to start him against Manchester United. Um, yeah, Lucas Torreira. And then the, the only other kind of question is what we do at right back because we don't we don't really have uh well we have kind of three less than ideal options with with Hector Bellerin out and we played Mustafi on on Saturday I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Lichsteiner or Maitland Niles uh come in for this game but I think it, it, it will be strong it will be a very strong team yeah I didn't quite know why they picked Shocker and Mustafi on that game but <laughs> nevertheless we'll skip that one over really uh, back to to sort of Ren stuff because it, it's been interesting this week Connor that that Liga allowed Ren's game to be postponed which seems like the strangest decision we've seen obviously leagues can decide what they want it seems like it will be somewhat unfair on Arsenal because of the taxing game they've had but at the same time the point I don't think I've heard anyone mention is isn't it a little bit more important to keep momentum going really than have a complete week off to to rest and prepare for one specific game against Arsenal it could backfire on them it, it quite possibly could. Uh, I mean, you look at where Ren are in, in the table and you look at kind of the whole uh, picture of, uh, you know, the LFP as well. I, I guess, you know, they see it as they want to give their team the best opportunity uh, to progress in Europe. You know, you have the, the coefficient for the league, etc. as well. They want the French teams to do well. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, whether you're PSG, whether you're Ren, Marseille, Bordeaux, they want everyone to do well. Um, so anything that they see as a benefit, they will do. Um, you know, seven days uh, or 10 days, whatever it is, since the last game isn't a massive gap. Um, and I think the fact that the decision's been made indicates that, you know, the, the professionals do see it as a benefit. Um, when you take a longer time off than that, I mean, you look at, uh, for example, Liverpool, they, they didn't actually choose to, but they had a long period off before uh, the Bayern Munich game just due to, you know, being out of the cup, etc., um, they've looked, obviously they had the, the win over Watford, but they look quite lacklustre and just not so sharp in, in those other games against Bayern and then uh, today in the Merseyside derby. So I guess from a from our perspective looking in, it's always easy to say, oh, but, you know, it's too much time off, you lose your sharpness. But I, I guess, you know, the professionals behind it all are taking what they consider to be the best decision. So, you know, anything Ren can do and anything the uh, the league can do to help him, I think that's, you know, where they're trying to get a foot up, really, where the Premier League um, haven't done that and probably can't do that just due to the uh, the number of games at this time. Yeah, and in, in fairness, it, 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 I feel a little bit guilty for the Arsenal players having to play two difficult games because it wasn't even like Ren were playing, you know, a, a Saint-Étienne or someone they're competing for the Europa League places for. Nîmes have been pretty good this season, but it's not exactly going to be um, the most important game of their season, at least. And it's an interesting wrinkle to it for Arsenal fans that they're going to face a rested team, Tim, but they're also mm. going to bring um, some familiar faces to English shores, at least none other than Hatem Ben Arfa that we obviously enjoyed mm. at Newcastle we've seen at uh, Nice do, do the players like him and obviously the, the presence of Ismaili Saru is getting a lot of press as well both of those we thought the attacking threats for Ren do they cause any concern for yourself as an for, for Arsenal as well? 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, particularly Hatton Ben Arthur, um, who I, we probably know a little bit more about because he spent a little bit of time in England. And uh, what's very clear is, is Hatton Ben Arthur is a super talented player, but um, a, a difficult individual to say the least. And obviously Unai Emery knows that from very, very personal experience. And I, I suppose the thing that um, Arsenal fans have been discussing is whether, because, you know, Ben Arthur is a, a player who's got a lot of talent but doesn't always have a great deal of motivation but um i think sticking one to unai Henry might might um motivate him a little bit and and you know the fact that this is this is um quite a big stage there'll be a lot of eyes on it i, I think hatton ben arthur is certainly a player who's capable of causing arsenal lots and lots of problems and if he's motivated to do so which i think he will be um that that's probably where the biggest danger lies for us, particularly in the first leg. Um, I think, you know, Renz will, will want, they'll want a really, really big showing at home. They, they'll want um, something to compete for um, in the second leg at the Emirates and and maybe to spring a bit of a surprise. I mean, Emery is a, a very meticulous coach and obviously he has um, experience of Liga. So I, I don't think Renz will hold many surprises for him personally but um maybe for some of the players and maybe the supporters i think a lot of these rens players you know everyone's read about how big a game this is and you know you're talking about the ticket applications and i've seen the pictures the queues for tickets i'm sure a lot of these players would be looking at this and and not least because arsenal um uh quite well known in france and quite closely followed in france for obvious reasons um, I, I think a lot of these Rams players will surely be looking at this as a kind of a big ticket game, um, a, a game where they know they're going to be in the spotlight. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of them will thrive on that and really enjoy it. Yeah, I think you're claiming it's Hatton Ben Arthur as petty there, but I don't think anyone <laughs> would argue with you on that one, in fairness. Um, so let's get some predictions on this one. I'll start with yourself, Tim. What do you think the score will be? I think that Arsenal might take this 2-1 or something like that. Um, and personally, I'd be very, very happy uh, with that to take Rens back to the Emirates with um, with with a couple of away goals and a lead. Rich, I know you're going to be ready and rearing to go. You'll have tea early. You'll make sure all the scarves are up on the walls and the old shirts, and you'll you'll make sure the missus is in one as well, just in case. What do you think the score will be? Um, I'm trying to balance being a Ren fan with being a bit of a realist. So I'll, I'll fall smack bang in the middle, sit on the fence and I'll go for two all draw. Connor. Um, I think I'll go for a one all draw. I think, um, you know, it'll be a tough game on both sides. If, if Ren go to the Emirates with, um, you know, with it in the balance, I think they'll be happy. One all. Yeah. I, I think, I think I, I agree with you guys. I just feel like, because of Ren's support and the fact that this is the first time in this stage, they'll they'll absolutely go gung ho for it. But I'm going for the the same score as the Betis game of three three, and I think really Arsenal will be delighted with that really because I, I can't imagine Ren getting anything at the Emirates. But um, I'm sure they'll much like many French teams really when they can take an English team away from home, much like Saint-Étienne did against Manchester United, they'll give them a a real good go. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Tim. Um, do you want to plug where we can find you, where we can read your stuff and everything? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Stilberto. I write um, a weekly column about Arsenal on askblog.com if on the off chance that, that interests anyone or or else I write about um, the Brazilian national team um, as well on the off chance that that, that in, uh, interests anyone. 
I think everyone loves a bit of the Brazilian national team now. And <laughs> can, I, can I just quick, quickly, Go before, before Tim goes, um, Tim, is, is there a, any chance, I'll speak this from my, from very much from my Ren supporting point of view, mm. is there any potential chance of Unai Emery being the sort of old romantic and, and, and starting Petr Cech on Thursday? Uh, yes, I think Petr Cech will start um, because that's, uh, I, I don't think it's even because of the Rennes connection. He he starts him in the Europa League, uh, generally speaking. So yes, I'd, I probably should have said that in the in the starting lineup um, kind of rundown. But yes, I think Petr Cech will start. And be still your beating heart, Rich. At least I know for that one. I'm sure Kubak will give him a nice high five for getting him a, across to that the Roseanne Park as well. Uh, thanks again, Tim, and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you. We've moved now on to back back to Liga matters, really, because it's been an interesting weekend, and more importantly for Leon, it's allowed them to get back into the groove more than anything. And I think that's one way of putting it, at least. Kind of a five-one win against Toulouse with all the strike force really getting a goal, which is the most important thing, really, because it's been a while since we, we spoke about loss to last season, really. I know, obviously, Moussa Dembele wasn't part of it, but the strike force last season, those four were just scoring goals for fun, each and every one of them. And it's been somewhat of a slow, especially 2019 for, for almost all of them. Um, but great to see them back on the score sheet. And that'll be a major plus for Leon heading into the next few weeks in the, the Champions League game coming forward. Definitely. Um, you know, the the, the classic uh, kind of cliche about Leon is turning up against the big teams and uh, kind of slacking against the worst teams. So nice to see them uh, turn it on, not even settle for a, for a small win, but uh, score five goals in, in doing so. Uh, I think especially, obviously you mentioned the whole uh, strike force, uh, Memphis, who's been terribly, terribly out of form. Um, I think even his goal took a deflection and then the goalie batted it into the corner, but still, you know, nice to see him uh, at his usual confidence level, uh, taking on the defender and getting a shot away in the box. And uh, obviously with that goal, he'll um, hopefully be back on form uh, when they end up playing Barcelona, um, obviously in the Champions League. And I think um, as well, one thing to highlight is you touched on as well, um, uh, the fact that Dembele's goal, uh, his first one where he just blasted past um, Shoji and, and slotted it um, into the far corner. So I think it's definitely a good time uh, for Leon. They're on the up and uh, ahead of the Champions League, and they've got a real chance of progressing, I think. Um, you know, as good as Barcelona are, I really don't see why not. Um, you know, Leon could definitely have a go at them at the new Camp, and uh, obviously a score draw would take them through. Yeah, and it was a worry for them this weekend, at least, Rich, that uh, without a result going their way, with Marseille facing Saint-Étienne, that they may be sort of steering down the battle roll of more competition for their third place. But now there's a nice five-point gap for them. They've obviously got some some tough games coming up, and we, we never can be quite sold on Leon, really. But they'll be delighted that after what was really... A, a, disappointing is maybe the only real way of putting it result against and performance against Monaco where they essentially didn't really turn up um that th they've absolutely thumped past Toulouse and, and silenced some of those critics uh exactly exactly you know Leon are a team where or a squad where fans don't quite always seem to be entirely happy all the time despite the circumstances that the, their team are in um so I think going into, as you say, a, a run of, of some important games, obviously in the middle of that is the is the second leg in Barcelona. But either side of that, they're away at Strasbourg, they have Montpellier at home and then ran away um, to the round off March. So it's, I think in terms of cementing 
certainly a top three and obviously pushing on for, for second place. It's a very, very important month. Um, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how they how they approach the Barcelona game. Um, you know, are they going to go out all guns blazing or are they going to be ever so slightly reserved, bearing in mind those crucial games that uh, that sort of straddle that uh, and, and finish March off? So um, I, there's enough there now, I think. That there's enough of a buffer. There's enough in that squad. To, for me to think, yeah, I think they've probably got the top three fairly sewn up. Um, I think they're going to now have to look at, uh, at pouncing on on Lille, who I don't think have been quite at their best. Certainly, I don't think they've reached their best, arguably, this calendar year so far. They've ground out results, which is obviously a great characteristic. But I don't necessarily think they'd hit, hit their very best form as we saw pre-Christmas. Um, so they're obviously going to be targeting that. Um, it's yeah, I think I think top three for them is is almost a certainty. I think you know if we can come out of if Leon can come out of March in a similar position to they are that they are now. I would I would fully expect that that top three place is is pretty much nailed on for them. Yeah, you make a good point about Lille at the moment. They they really struggled on on Sunday. I watched the game against Dijon. They they really. Uh, sort of labour against sides that have figured them out, quote unquote, or at least are treating them with the respect they deserve that they've got from finishing second place. That they're just sitting back and really struggling to break down teams when they're not able to sort of just counter on them with the great pace that they have. But um, uh, going on to the opponents, really, the, of the day, Connor, uh, in Toulouse, the. It's been a miserable 2019 for them. We've sort of missed them out quite a bit on the show, really, but they've only had one win in the league in 2019, a couple of draws here and there that have kept their heads above water, but they've had, similar to last season, chances to sort of pull away. They were, they maybe should have got a better result against Bordeaux. They drew against Caen, who, who were really struggling. Uh, they had a good performance. They would uh, had to sort of save it against Ras as well. Um, they've slowly, slowly sort of come against... Uh, firing line almost because they they are still yes eight eight points above, above even Cole in that relegation playoff place and it but at the same time is it maybe feeling like yet again for Le VLA it's going to be the the rubbish below them really that keeps them afloat this season I mean let, let me put it this way if Max Alain Gradel was not in that team they would be in the relegation zone um and I don't think anyone would disagree with that to be honest um, he just seems to grab this team by the scruff of their neck, whether it's, you know, a last minute free kick, uh, you know, whatever, an assist that he plays across is just he's the one man team at the moment. Um, without him, they'd be in a lot of trouble. But I do agree. I think um, with eight points, the buffer, I think, from the um, from the playoff zone, they should limp over the line and be OK. But it's not good reading if you've got one win in, um, you know, just over two months of, um, of football. So should just about get over the line, but they've got one man to thank for it. Yeah. Just looking at the team, really, that they start fairly regularly. Baptist Rene was a, a good signing, I think, and a good replacement for Album of And I don't think he can be really blamed for a lot of the, mm-hmm. the struggles they've had. But Christopher Julian has, has gone... Um, oh, uh, if there was a second gear in reverse, maybe he's found it, I think, really, <laughs> because he's, he's dropped off terribly on, on form and, and those around him have sort of been affected by that. And then playing players like Yannick Kawasaki, who is... I remember his time at Basti, he had about six red cards in one season, didn't he? They, they've not really got the best out of 
John Bostock recently, at least in the, he's been out with the team. Uh, they've not really got anything out of Corentin Jean or, or Yaya Sonogo or Fermin Mbele or Aaron Leo-Seka. They've got, again, very similar to what we've mentioned about Connor a few times, Rich. There's a few sort of names there, really, for Liga strikers, but nothing really sticking. More journeymen again, and it, it's... But essentially, like much like Connor said, that's why they've re- had to rely so much on Max Langradell saving them uh, just in the nick of time. And if next season he a, a bigger Ligue 1 club comes in for him and he goes, they're in the mire, aren't they? Sorry, Nathan, you cut off there for me. Oh, right, sorry. Uh, I was saying, it, it's safe if, if Gradell goes in the summer um, and, and they, they, they're stuck with these sort of German and journeyman strikers they've got. And they, they're stuck in the mire, aren't they? Oh, they absolutely are. Um, you know, it, it, it's a long, long time since Toulouse had a, a, a forward. Thinking off the top of my head, do we have to go all the way back to Gignac? Before Maybe. they had a... Before they actually had a... A real, real quality would centre forward. Ben Yedder, I think you would, you would. Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Although he was often used, you know, he was often used out wide or as a secondary striker. Um, but yeah, I mean, goals are a big, big problem for for, for Toulouse. They are, um, they're in a bit of free fall at the moment. But the only thing I think saving them is the fact that there are, they're not the only team in free fall. There are a number of others. You know, Khan, as you mentioned. Uh, are another that are in horrible, horrible form. Um, so that's that that fortuitous um, turn of events. Plus, as as Connor pointed out, the goals of of Gradel are literally the only things keeping them out of that that real, real rock bottom position. Really, because performance wise, they're they're a long way off safety yet. Yeah, and they've done some awful moves really recently. I mean, selling Lafont was was the right kind of time, and they got a, a decent amount for him. But they maybe could have squeezed a little bit more out of a bigger team if they could have, um, rather than the the money they got from Fiorentina. That money's not really been reinvested in any kind of foreseeable way, at least on the pitch straight away. Then they've got someone like Tadibo that that has left for Barcelona, essentially for for pittance, really. They're complimentary money from Barcelona more than anything to to get him now and get him out of there because it is bad for him. And they sort of try to rewind the clock with Alan Casanova and it's clearly not worked. There's not a plan. There's not a structure. And and just as bad as someone uh, uh, across the town, really, from them in Bordeaux. Both these sides are being mismanaged pretty poorly at the moment and both sides are, are free-falling because of it and it's a, a real shame for... Well, they they, they also had obviously, they also got decent money as you say for Lafont. they got very good money for Issy Diop mm. you know, where, where's that been invested? You know, if you're a Toulouse fan you're scratching your head thinking okay, we've lost two very, very good players here but we've we've not even replaced them with players a third of, of, of the quality that have gone. So yeah, there's real issues of 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 um of squad management i think there mm, yeah there's something really needs to be done uh, because next season um with the quality some of the league der sides are showing as well it's, it's not looking good for them if they they remain like this uh, let's go to our league and snapshots so now it's my favorite part of the show as always i'll start with yourself on this one rich what's your league and snapshot for this week um i've got two beauties really picked up by um by opta actually this weekend opta jean um, one concerning Mario Balotelli. Um, I don't think many could name 
the last Marseille to strike Marseille player to score in at the Velodrome in his first three games. Because you'd have to go all the way back to 1999 and former Everton powerhouse Ibrahima Bakayoko for the last time that happened, which I thought was a name I'd never ever hear again. Um, and the other was a was a return. You touched upon it earlier. Was a return to the Yannick Karasak that we we all know and love, the bruising red card receiving uh, midfield menace. Um, it was three. I think it was three red cards in. Four four games i think it was something like that um, something insane for, for brastia it, that that's now his 11th um red card in in league and in the 21st century only one other player has got more um than than karzak karzak's on 11 former ren midfielder and right back cyril jeunchamp managed to pick up 12 so there's still time for karzak to break that record uh, which i've no doubt he will do yeah, I think uh, Kalzak is maybe the perfect example of French S-Housery, shall we say, really, more than anything. And it's good to see him, in a way, get back to those sort of forms. Uh, Connor, what's your Liga snapshot for this week? Um, I suppose it's a, uh, a silver lining, a potential future silver lining for any uh, Lyon fans who who fear of losing Nabil Fekir in, in the summer is that um, we had another Fekir make his uh, Ligue 1 debut um, this weekend, which is his younger brother, Yassin. Uh, who I believe has got uh, another year to go on his contract after this summer. Um, yeah, so we had two brothers playing uh, the Fekir brothers for the first time together in the league this uh, this weekend. I bet they enjoyed that. And I bet <laughs> any stipulation on a Fekir extension, at least to get some more money, may have an extension of his brother in the uh, uh, small <laughs> writing for that, shall we say. Uh, two for me as well. I think uh, I think the one that everyone's probably already seen, it was nice to see Mario Balotelli's live Instagram um, celebration. Uh, maybe even better than Totti's previous attempt of doing something similar um, in Italy a couple of years ago. It was always an interesting one, Mario Balotelli. You wondered what if he was stealing that phone from from that poor cameraman for a moment, but clearly that was his phone in waiting. And so it was a bit pre-planned to be in that section as well. But, but it's my second one really is a bit maybe a bit of a bugbear for Jez because he, he won't really like me saying this one really. But um, uh, watching the Monaco... Um, uh, uh, Angers game at the weekend and I think we saw the impact of Leonardo Jardim in that game because in the first half they were pretty laborious they were pretty poor it was back to the sort of Thierry Henry led Monaco that we saw which was pretty poor and then in the second half he didn't give them half of a booting because they looked like a completely different team coming out in the second half they maybe should have nicked a third at some point at least they were really on top of things in that second half and it shows you that Leonardo Jardim does have a sort of stranglehold back on that team and the and showing that maybe they've made the right decision in bringing him back and maybe we maybe Thierry might not have inspired the same kind of comeback if he was still in charge but there was sure. also there was also yeah. in that game um, Falcao hit his 60th uh, league and goal as well, which I think puts him. You know, so got a, that was his first goal. He got a second as well, which when you look at his stats, bearing in mind his injuries that he that he's had and that obviously horrible knee injury that kept him out for for, for over a season. 61 goals in 99 league games. Um, it's perhaps just forgotten just what a still. It's not. He's clearly not at his best now. But still, what a 
a top quality striker Falcao actually is. Yeah, and he's he looked like he really enjoyed the service he was getting in that game from from Lopez and and Gelson Martins and especially Fabregas. He's really enjoying having the Spaniard in his midfielder, a very Jaramutiano uh, esque move at least for him. Uh, that's all for this week. Uh, my thanks to Rich, Connor, Tim, and all of you listening at home. Uh, do join us again for the preview show, which will be on Thursday. And uh, well, as for the main show, we'll see you at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.